the interesting part back then for us was the realization that when we designed the early version of a product, we realized that ultimately it was all about making AI accessible to lots of people in the organization. Mm. If I'm intellectually honest, back then we were not talking about AI, but more like data science meaning the same thing, but like ultimately data science being accessible to lots of people in the organization. And when I was looking backward to what had happened to other evolution of the data space, like business intelligence, I realized that it took like 20 or 25 years for business intelligence to become more self-service inside organizations. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Is your organization using AI but struggling to deploy or scale or get value from AI in production? Then come join us on our webinar that we have specifically designed to help you improve that area, to get more value from AI, to scale AI. The event is on November 17th. It's going to be called Scaling AI Successfully with MLOps. We are super excited to create this event in Australia. It's one of the first, if not the first, MLOps-focused event in Australia. So come join us with a wide range of speakers covering the whole gamut that is involved in MLOps. We're going to have roundtables, we're going to have panel discussions, and we're going to have presentations. So you'll get to mingle with peers who are facing similar challenges and get to discuss the approaches that they're taking and also learn from some of the industry experts that we've put together. To find out more, go to datafuturology.com forward slash events. It's a free event focusing on MLOps. First time in Australia. I'm super excited to bring this event to the community. I hope to see you there. Hi, and welcome everyone to Data Futurology. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host in Data Futurology. We speak with leaders and executives from around the world that work in the analytics, data science, and AI space. We get their use cases, their challenges, and bring you different perspectives to help you increase the adoption of AI in your organizations and goals, overcome the challenges that come in adopting and getting value from this transformative technology. Today, we're gonna to be hearing from a legend in the industry, a man who's built a unicorn company in the space. Their motto is to leave no one behind with AI. That's incredibly empowering considering the amount of people and organizations that need to be taught how to interact and use AI in order to have the transformations that we're seeking in our companies. So I could not think of a better guest than to have Florian Dotau. He is the CEO of Dataiku. Florian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Felipe. And uh, how are you doing yourself? Doing uh, very, very well. I've uh, been looking forward to this chat. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for making the time. So uh, at the beginning, I wanted to ask you about your origin story, um, how you got into data and how you went on to start um, what, what is now a, a unicorn in the space. Well, I got into data in a sense pretty early in my career. I'm, um, I'm more a mathematician by trade. But uh, mathematics at some point uh, 
were frustrating to me because it's not it's real of course i'm a mathematician so i believe mathematics is real but it's not real as in like you don't feel things you don't have a, a, an impact on things and so forth and i was uh, uh, back in 2000 uh, into the question of like oh can i do things with actual things with actual data and back then uh, actual data was scarce and lots of data was not terabytes it was about doing things with gigabytes in fact back in uh, back 20 years ago and i went into the web space web search space and so forth because that's where uh, data was and I, I i think i kept my career looking for data finding data i think i found data now uh, probably and um, and back then uh, 8 years ago uh, I was for a few years working with various tech companies, helping them building their data stack. And it was very frustrating to just getting things to work, not just from a technology perspective, because I guess technology, you can always make it work to some extent if you have some skills and trade, but from a cultural perspective. I remember this uh, awful meeting where I was putting together in a pre-IPO kind of company, uh, people from the data scientist team and people from the business team. And it was all about working on the company data. And for whatever reason, they were each sitting on one side of the table. Like they couldn't mingle. They just could like, yeah, it's your fault. You don't have the right data. You don't understand the problem. Well, you keep getting things done, but like you don't tell us. And and whatever the way I would organize the meeting, they would just every time split each side of the table. And so that's kind of like, oh, I got into the, the idea of uh, building a platform because, well, I guess that when you've got a problem and you want to solve it at scale, software is a good solution. 100, 100%, 100%. So you definitely, yeah, you... Um, you had the, the background, the interest in the space. You wanted to go from uh, sounded like a more theoretical world in, in, the, in the space of mathematics and moving into, into a practical application of, of the discipline and while well, moving into data, um, seeing the problem and then grabbing uh, the bull by its horns, uh, jumping, jumping right in. What was the, the early days uh, of Data Eco like? How was... Um, leading up to starting um, early, early days in the organization. How was that time for you? Mm, meaning it was, it, was a, it was a great time, especially because it was also a great time back eight years ago in the, in, the face of, in the space of data. If you remember well, back then, we were all talking about big data. Do you remember this, Monica? Yeah. Uh, we, won't, we don't use it anymore, I guess. But uh, it was big data everywhere. And uh, lots of technologies to connect and making and having to make them together mm-hmm. work. The interesting part back then for us was the realization that when we designed the early version of a product, we realized that ultimately it was all about making AI accessible to lots of people in the organization. Mm-hmm. If I'm intellectually honest, back then we were not talking about AI, but more like data science meaning the same thing, but like ultimately data science being accessible to lots of people in the organization. And when I was looking backward to what had happened to other evolution of the data space, like business intelligence, 
I realized that it took like 20 or 25 years for business intelligence to become more self-service inside organizations. Mm. And I think the, the main factor that was uh, an endurance to business intelligence being uh, widespread was the fact that whatever the advance in terms of the reporting itself, data itself was a problem. As in like uh, getting the data, data preparation and so forth, you always have when you want to do self-service, a choking point at the beginning of the funnel of value. And that's why when we designed and thought about Dataiku, we were like, uh, data management, data science, it's not like a separate pieces of the puzzles. They are just two sides of the same coin. And we need whatever happens to design a product where both sides actually appear. And that's kind of like uh, one of the design principles of the product. Do not leave uh, data behind to start with, that we, that we started with. It's great to find the challenges that other parts of uh, the data space had, like uh, what was difficult for, for BI to move into a self-service space and start honing on that. Uh, first, when when it comes to to AI and data science, that's that's fantastic. Um, in uh, uh, learning about the you know the history of of our of our industry, um, and I really like this uh, the concept that that you guys have about leaving no one behind and bringing everyone together to work in this space. Could you tell me about uh, where where that came from uh, and what what your what your outlook is for uh, for that mission? Hmm. Yeah, uh, the the challenge of the data space is that if you want to have a full impact, you need to encompass the business as part of the transformation. And for at least two reasons. One, if you want your uh, any data project to have an impact, it must uh, actually have also an impact on the uh, business process that will be using the data. And so in order to do that, you need people to actually understand and with a good understanding of the business process to actually uh, co-design the analytics with you. And second, the reality of our space is that there is still a shortage of skills in terms of people having uh, core technology skills, like people doing Python to simplify, uh, available on the market. And uh, in order to just get things done, I think there was a huge challenge of actually enabling people without having uh, the technological skills, meaning the Python skills and so forth, to actually participate and have an impact on data projects. Just math. You don't have enough data scientists doing Python on Earth to just uh, build all the data analytics you need in, in, in the sense of uh, data science, advanced uh, AI-powered analytics. And uh, then there is also, from my perspective, a, a question of uh, just a society and balance, where if you want uh, the AI revolution to be to have the right impact, it's actually better if there is a balance in terms of like uh, who is behind the wheel, not just uh, not just the geeks uh, giving receiving orders from executives. You need uh, business stakeholders to actually also participate to this, revo to this revolution. So for, for those three reasons, alignment with actual business need, uh, shortage of skills, and uh, societal balance, you need, I think, uh, more platform enabling business stakeholders participating 
to data science and the AI uh, projects. And actually, more and more, doing and building them by themselves. And that's that's um, extremely exciting. Getting to uh, um, giving giving opportunity uh, people opportunity to to build it themselves, uh, and as well as being able to, as you were saying before, being able to sit on the same side of the table and actually collaborate and co-design how this technology is going to be built and used um, in organizations, let alone getting that into into production all into um, all in the one. Uh, platform and, and easy easy to do um, what what is the uh, what is the the impact that you think um, this this type of mission um, has in the world uh, and with the particularly with the with the focus on the low code and no code and no code and that um, that your platform provides where where do you think this can uh, this can take organizations where do you think it can take the world? I think it actually, so from, from the perspective of our customer, it enables them to actually change in a kind of profound manner the way certain business lines or functions work. Because it's not just about having uh, this uh, new shiny AI tool somewhere on the side. It's about, uh, for some of them, changing the day-to-day work of a significant percent of the employees of the business line. To give a concrete example, for instance, uh, we have customers where their financial planning and analytics uh, team, the FP&A teams, are changing radically the way they do their day-to-day work, the way they automate their work by leveraging our platform. Uh, one such customer, for instance, is a standard charter, standard charter bank. And automation in uh, FPNA is critical because that's kind of like the core of your job. Meaning, uh, if you're not automated from an FPNA perspective, you could spend way too much time in manual process, uh, which uh, is usually called uh, copy pasting in Excel, mm-hmm. which is not that fun, uh, is uh, time consuming with the new challenges of uh, the various digital revolution and so forth, you have more and more transactions and you also have uh, more and more constraints in terms of uh, how to report uh, data and financials. And uh, there is a need of uh, just uh, more automation to make just your work more interesting. And so filling this gap between uh, uh, the intelligence, the mind, meaning all the things you're building uh, the smart metrics or the smart uh, intelligence you put into um, financial models into something you can automate is something that I think changes just the work of those people. And that's, I think, by itself, super interesting. It is. It definitely uh, is super interesting. Where where do you think this uh, automation of work is going to, to take us? And, and how should people think about um, automating their, their work? Hmm. I think there is a, a combination of, uh, of uh, let's say, desire and fear when people talk about uh, automating, uh, automating the world, and which relates to uh, the various stages of uh, industrial revolution we've been into, where uh, yeah, for each of them, there were uh, some challenges in order to make them happen in the society. Like, uh, 
when you automate something, when the robots are replacing you, what is happening to you? That's uh, kind of like a, a form of question everyone has back of uh, its mind. And indeed, in the in this, uh, if we if we stretch this line from a five to ten years perspective, uh, data science platform, analytics platform, AI platform in the enterprise are enabling to build some form of uh, assets. We call them models or whatever that are automating a specific part of the work, which is decision making. Mm -hmm. Meaning that's a piece that is essentially instead of you behind your screen looking at the data and spending lots of time on it deciding for something this piece will either reduce drastically the time you need to spend in order to take the decision or maybe in some situation take the decision for you and nothing will happen on your screen it will be completely automated as a business process and that's what this is about ultimately building automated decision making building blocks within within the enterprise and the question from a work perspective is that it does question the meaning of work from the perspective of people that are taking decisions today. Because mm. it's like 80% of my perceived value, meaning the reason why I wake up in the morning, put a shirt, get behind my screen and so forth, is actually because, yeah, my brain is good at taking these decisions and I take them consciously. I feel responsible about the decision and so forth and so on. But if those decisions are taken away from me, what is the actual meaning of my job? <laughs> that's, yes. that's a very concrete uh, question that is, uh, interestingly, actually a question for many different layers in the enterprise. We are not talking about like a specific uh, hierarchical layer of the enterprise that could be impacted. Mm. Ultimately, even I, I can easily imagine that even myself as a CEO of a company at some point, you could have some of the decisions I take that are automated by AI to some extent. Yeah. So the, the, the underlying question is like, how do we keep some meaning to work? And from my perspective, that's where the how you build it is important. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we need to embark people taking decisions today within this process of building those uh, decision-making building blocks, which is back to the question of business stakeholders participating to the creation of AI. Mm. It's uh, not just to actually make that happen in the right way. It's also to create... Uh, the possibility of a change where people keep understanding what is the meaning of their work. Mm. You need to just transition, I think, lots of, uh, from a, well, it's far-reaching, from a 5, 10, 15-year perspective, mm -hmm. there is a, a transition in terms of uh, what I'm doing as an individual. The, the starting point is I'm taking individual decisions behind my screen. The end point is that I keep building and refining automated decision system. And so the question is like, how do you enable people to, to do that? Yes, yes, exactly. And how do you, how do you see that, that change um, for, for you in, in your role, as you were saying, as a CEO of, of a company where some decisions can be automated? Um, what, what is it going to look like as we go further into, into that time horizon? Hmm. 
that's uh, yeah that's a, that's a no that, that's a deep question uh, if you if you look at trends trends on the market uh, you 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 obviously have for uh, from the perspective of um, an organization impacts not only on core functions of the company mm. and so in, in the case of a company like a software company core functions are usually functions related to uh, how you operate sales uh, support and so forth and indeed what we see as trends on the market is that more and more the way you score your customer the way you target your customers the way you understand which customer might require more help and so forth is driven by uh, uh, automation of metrics uh, telling you uh, where to look at. It means very concretely that uh, as a decision maker, uh, you don't receive uh, a health check from your customer coming from uh, a subjective view built uh, by your field. More and more, you're receiving things that are automated in terms of uh, alerts uh, coming from the coming uh, coming from the field. And uh, but it also has an impact, and uh, you also see trends that are, I guess, uh, also to be better understood in terms of uh, support functions. For instance, in HR, mm -hmm. uh, we see more and more uh, situations and contexts where people want to, to be able to automate a part of the HR process, as in understanding how to better assess candidates, how to better assess uh, HR situation, how to better understand that an employee is at risk, and so forth. And yeah, indeed, it's an interesting question because when you apply each of those uh, new techniques, it may have uh, an impact on the culture of the company. And mm -hmm. so as a decision maker, I think it's key to understand how AI is used in the organization because you have an idea of what it will do, but it's very hard to understand what you will lose by actually switching to uh, this kind of system. And I guess it is, that's why it's a responsibility of decision makers at every level to actually understand what uh, data and AI actually means uh, for, the, for the organization. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like um, the, uh, and obviously correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the, um, the, the world that you envisage is that essentially AI and humans will be working almost collaboratively, that the decisions that can be automated will move more and more into automating them, but that then those um, decisions will provide information back to the, to the human to be looking at specific things or uh, new alerts, new patterns, uh, help make some decisions there and, and, and maybe look to automate some more of that. And that there will be sort of a continual flow between the, the two parts. Uh, is, that, is that right? Yeah, that's, I think that we... We already see that data and AI is used uh, in uh, many different ways with at, with at least uh, uh, four tiers of system, meaning you've got the baseline where you just uh, report on the data. You've got the one where you augment uh, existing reports on data, leveraging advanced techniques and AI in order to pinpoint uh, potential issues and so forth. You've got a layer where you actually... Uh, provide uh, various uh, suggestions and assistance to decision making as in like, you should do that for this and that reason and so forth, coming usually as a dedicated app supporting uh, supporting decision making process. Mm -hmm. And you've got the layers of uh, 
uh, automation where you almost have automation with uh, you've got variants with automations with some uh, human in the loop as part of it, as in like 80-90% of things are automated. You've got the 10% where you need some uh, additional human supervision, and you've got the highest level of automation of processes that are completely automated up to the point that it's just about monitoring the model. Mm. And um, and the, the you do have today applications ranging for for all of that uh, spectrum, but indeed, I think there is a need to make sure that uh, the high-value differentiated applications in your organization stays with human in the loop if you actually want to create a culture around it in your organization. And if it makes sense also, like uh, credit, uh, meaning credit card payment, it needs to be completely automated. Like, because yeah. it's ultimately uh, the detection of fraud itself at the level of each individual transaction mm -hmm. is uh, not that high value. And there is a physical need of these things to be happening all the time with some level of SLA. So you want and we need to automate it. But uh, determining if someone is worth a credit for buying a house, it's not the same situation. And you don't want actually to automate it in the same way. And so for each uh, businesses, for each industry, there is a need of understanding where we want to put this cursor of automation, which have uh, implication of like, what is the culture of the company? What is customer and customer relationship from the perspective of this company? And understanding this, this design of AI in the organization, is almost a new, a new discipline of like automation design that is new to the enterprise. Because you have, a, a, you have usually a head of human resources that is thinking about human resources in a certain way, but the IT function thinks in terms of, fun, of systems, the mm -hmm. IT function does not think in terms of uh, automation and the design of automation throughout the organization. And so it's today, a mix of conversation between uh, head of analytics, uh, head of IT, but usually head of business function to understand where they want to put that. Mm -hmm. But this conversation is probably not completely mature compared to where it should be uh, from a 10 to 15 years perspective. Wow, I love that. I love that. That is, that, that is excellent. Like having, yeah, the, the design of automation as, as a, as a capability in an organization, it's it's definitely um, something that that would be a game changer. Um, having it as a as a key focus like that, because the um, the consumer needs and the consumer wants are endless. So they will always continue to rise um, with with you know better products, better services provided, um, and so there there'll always be a need to to fulfill. To fulfill that, which means that there will always be a um, space for for innovation and creativity, and uh, being able to automate uh, the the provision of, of the services is, um, yeah, it's 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 great, <laughs> it's great, and um, yeah, and I really like the the, the fact that you you're also um, accounting for for things that may not be foreseen, as in maybe like innovations that. Um, uh, for like one one that I, that comes to mind for me is um, something like uh, Cirque du Soleil, 
that for like a hundred years before that, uh, the the circus industry had been in decline in terms of revenues, and that then um, and they were working in certain ways by having animals and traveling and um, having multiple rings, and that then the innovation was let's do this circus thing but completely different and let's have one ring let's have no animals very highly trained professionals and that in the first 20 years it the revenues exceeded what had been done by the entire industry the the previous hundred years and that it's it's um innovations like this that continue to have it sounds like uh, sounds like they continue to have a space um while the um the it continues to have a space in different levels that you were mentioning about how automated decisions should should be according to what type of decision they are how core they are to the the business um, um to the business itself and what the business wants to do in the in the future is that is that in line with with what you were saying yep. yeah it's in line it's i think it's uh, it's in line and indeed uh, a good a good illustration i think the the um, an, an organization is is into a forever fight uh, between meaning understanding what is uh, their uh, their business and usually they start with like uh, some form of uh, uh, mystery of problem then you have people inside the organization finding a solution or heuristics in terms of how to solve it and then you need to automate and indeed there is a first uh, obvious shocking point is that if you don't automate enough you stay in this stage where people uh, using heuristics uh, make it happen and so forth, but you never actually automate enough so that you can get back into understanding what could be a different world. And yeah, from that perspective, you could argue that, uh, and uh, it might be a terrible comparison, so sorry if it is for people working in circus, but that the previous embodiment of circus was using heuristics of like the ways of making people come to circus that was indeed working and uh, was a certain uh, lifestyle, but that in a sense, uh, Cirque du Soleil just automated it from the perspective of how oh, it could be automated in a new digital world where people can all travel to whatever location, Las Vegas, uh, where uh, digital media enables you to actually uh, just uh, create a new brand using uh, color and images and so forth in a different way. And uh, where in order to be widespread, you just need to have uh, something that is associated to art and not necessarily animals because you want to own the brand in order to be the best brand. And so all of that was a way to automate the practical of Circus in order to possibly just reinvent uh, in five or 10 years something new from the perspective of what should be uh, uh, real life and Circus, uh, circus uh, arts. But then again, the question of... Uh, Similarly, for the enterprise, you need to automate, but understand where you want to automate and keep your heuristics because you don't want to lose people and creativity in between. Yeah, definitely. That's um, that's that's really nice. Um, yeah, that's really nice. That definitely don't want to lose that that um, that creativity and understanding the. Um, the possibilities of what the customer desires um, and how those could be could be met, but you do want to bring a lot of this automation design. Um, this is great. Um, I wanted to ask you for for 
for where where did the the focus on on enterprise um, come from? From at least at least from from my perspective, it seemed to me that you guys were one of the early early uh, organizations that focused on enterprise AI, and obviously have done so uh, exceedingly well. Do you think? Maybe two part question. Do you think that you guys were early on enterprise AI and um, and what what why did you focus on on that side? Um, yeah, I think that we focused on enterprise AI quite early <clears throat> because we actually we wanted to build a product having having an impact, and the, from my perspective. The interesting change of AI was not about providing yet another technology to be used by tech firms and startup companies, which was a lot of what what it was in the early days mm. for lots of organizations. It was a lot about actually building the product for most enterprises so that no enterprise is left behind. There mm. is indeed, a, when you look at it from a, from afar, there is sometimes a frustration uh, come in from uh, people and organization related to this data revolution. You can feel overwhelmed by the size of the data revolution and its speed. You can feel overwhelmed by the fact that uh, people, the data will start deciding for you, but also by mm-hmm. the fact that uh, as a digital giants, will with their all of their data and all of their technology will just uh, crush you from a long-term perspective of the company. It's like a new uh, conflict. Mm. Uh, And I think that we, from that perspective, I wanted to take the side of the old enterprise, as in like, oh, regular organization, like the one I like and I live in and I actually use uh, on a day-to-day basis, could change themselves and uh, leverage uh, data. It was at uh, the beginning of uh, Dataiku, obviously, something that we needed a lot to work on just because from our perspective it was not just to build a website and a credit card kind of software it was about building an enterprise ready kind of software in terms of security in terms of where you install internal flexibility and so forth it was lots of work but i meaning my my first 10 days of careers i was uh, doing uh, c and c plus uh, on uh, lots of uh, exotic uh, operating systems and uh, then uh, delivering that as a software. So meaning I felt ready to actually <laughs> do the hard thing of actually delivering to the enterprise just mm. because I'm, um, and I think because of the background of myself and the other founder of the company, we, were, we felt ready to actually get that extra mile, but like actually very important mile to, deliver to the enterprise whatever their context, whatever their data warehouse, whatever their situation, meaning don't wait for everybody to be in the cloud. Otherwise, yeah. you wait for uh, years and years. And so that's, I think, uh, indeed part of uh, the DNA of Dataiku is to, to serve the enterprise and to be at this uh, uh, very beginning of um, enterprise, um, enterprise AI. Exceedingly ambitious uh, vision from the start because the um, servicing the enterprise, it requires such a huge lift um, with when it comes to 
your privacy, security, and um, data management in, in general. Um, so there, there's, um, um, yeah, you, you, you decided to take on a much greater challenge um, in order to, to help transition this or, or to help update this part of the, of the market in terms of the, these enterprises and help them come into, into the new, the new um, economy. Um, that that is like hats off, man. That's been that's been amazing. No, but I think it's 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 also easier to have this perspective because we were not starting from the West Coast uh, Bay Area ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Meaning, um, when I think that's a, a huge bias you have when you start any kind of company in the Bay Area ecosystem is that you want to serve people around you, which has other tech firms. Yep. The reality is that in terms of data, tech firms do require some help and so forth. But like ultimately, the kind of leverage you have is limited because they can do things by themselves yeah. for most of them. Yeah. The, the, um, and will do things by themselves in their own way because anyway, they are building a product uh, from scratch on the, at the same time usually when you serve a startup. Mm. The, the actual challenge when you have an impact to the world is indeed when you serve the enterprise because that's where the important data is that's where the uh, that's where you have an impact on real life economy and so forth and i think that what i found uh, interesting uh, first first and foremost that is a really good point that the um where where people are gives them a, a particular vantage point that um, helps shape the, the decisions that they make and that there are benefits in not being in Silicon Valley, essentially. And that, and that sometimes uh, founders may, might feel like they're missing out if they're not starting in Silicon Valley. But um, from your perspective, it sounds like there's, there's benefits as well. Yeah, I think there are there are some benefits in in in, in some circumstances. I think that uh, when you start from a when you look technology as uh, technology from a Silicon Valley perspective, you want to the good thing is that you've got lots of uh, de facto competition because you have lots of peers you can talk to, and so you want to to sharpen your positioning. But it leads also uh, to situations where you just uh, focus on a narrow niche perspective, trying to build it into a grandiose category. Yeah. Uh, whereas in some situations, the actual, uh, the actual innovation is about uh, seeing uh, something as a wall moralistically and just go in that direction, even if it means that you don't actually completely differentiate compared to all of your peers uh, sitting uh, at the next table in, in the cafe. Uh, which is where innovation happened in the Silicon Valley, yeah. indeed, and so the in the cafe. So the the yeah, in some situations, being not into the ecosystem, I think, has an interesting impact in terms of like just helping you building a broader uh, vision that might be uh, not completely conventional. That's that is great. That is great. Definitely, um, one for um, for for people that feel like they might be missing out. Um, if they're not there um, or, or starting companies there, then this is a, a very, very interesting point of view. Um, so there's, there's a couple there's a couple of things that, that I, I, I really like about um, the way that, that you think about the, the space. Um, and tell me which one of these you'd like to uh, jump into maybe first. One is around 
um, the life cycle of projects and bringing uh, everyone together into uh, throughout that life cycle. So um, focusing on the, on the collaboration. And the other side is around the, uh, the responsible and explainable AI, which, which is obviously uh, exceedingly, exceedingly interesting. Um, which, which one of those would you like to, to tackle first? Yeah, well, we can, I guess we can, starting with the, the life cycle, mm-hmm. indeed, uh, indeed, when building the Taiku, we thought of uh, building the product end-to-end as in like, oh, can you capture the full life cycle of data and, uh, and AI? Um, when I look at it now, I think it's indeed interesting as a perspective because the, the natural state of AI project is almost to have four, <laughs> indeed, four different levels of life cycle that are sometimes independent, as in you've got the data life cycle, then you've got a model life cycle, mm-hmm. you've got uh, then how you operate an app and monitor it, and you've got a project life cycle in terms of uh, the project, how you start it, how you ideate, and how you build the ID. So, Sorry, it's complicated, but in real life, indeed, people tend to have four different layers of life cycle with usually four different stakeholders at each of those uh, levels. Yes. And indeed, if that's the reality, that's why it's complicated, because if you got four different project managers to achieve one thing with uh, different stakeholders, uh, all of that uh, as uh, Russian dolls, of course, that's kind of uh, complicated to, to get things done. And as a platform, one of our motto is to build a platform with a consistent life cycle where you can start with the data and end with the, the project and the understanding of what's the value of the project so that you can get a consistent view. I think that it's just about, in essence, deconstructing all the ideas of like what should be the life cycle of data and AI so that you end up with only one platform and one, one life cycle in order to get those things uh, done uh, done properly. And uh, yeah, that's, I think, profoundly what uh, the, the future state of a data project uh, should be. It's, uh, it's hard to change that, but we are, um, we are getting there. Um, I think uh, with the, the platform... Uh, we are uh, we are building right if there's if there's anything that um the the trajectory of the Raiku has shown is that um you're able to call it early <laughs> as in like where where the need is you call it early and you um build to it yeah really really well and and um and are, are ready when the when the demand comes, like when the when the market is is ready, you're there. Uh, so um, this, yeah, this sounds like another example of that. Yep. Well, I I hope so. And and kind of like related to that, there is a question of uh, explainability, explainability of models mm-hmm. and AI, which ultimately boils down to lots of. Um, I would say basic capabilities of any data science platform, as in the ability to to understand the weights of models, what is variable impacting these assess models, to understand uh, what if and uh, help people understand uh, why this particular decision is taken and why another decision could have been taken and so forth by a model. 
think what I feel still frustrating is that I see we see the need of that of, in, on the market. It's getting used in some areas, but where ultimately it was also used uh, before. I still, I'm still afraid that explainability is a checkbox kind of feature where people want more explainability for models, but that it's still not ingrained in the practice of building models. Mm -hmm. Meaning we are only half there in terms of practical practice of uh, explainability. And that's... Uh, yeah, that's still frustrating for me. And it's almost not about, I don't think it's about technology per se, because it's not uh, rocket science. Even today, you start having for uh, complex deep learning models and so forth, you start having uh, good technology to, to help you understand why uh, even a, a classification for an image was done in a certain way. So even for complex situation, you start having a good reasonable technology to use it. But then... The how it becomes part of the business process is still to be determined so that it's not just a checkbox of like, yeah, we have explainability, but like something actually part, uh, actually part of the process. Mm. Yes, yes. So what, what, what do you think um, either? What do you think, uh, what, are, what do you think are the barriers or that are stopping that? that adoption, actual adoption, um, or, or what, well, yeah, what do you think will be needed to change that? I think it's, um, I think it's related to the, ultimately, it's a matter of uh, change management on the last mile of AI, mm. meaning the, the, the notion of uh, explainability itself Meaning you've got the back office explainability as in uh, the person doing the model being able to, to check uh, things, which is uh, important and fine. But in order to create a widespread usage of uh, explainability, again, you may need to also think about how models prediction are used and build applications where every decision Meaning like it's almost as if every time a decision uh, of a model was shown on a screen somewhere, mm. you could click on it and have the explanation within the same uh, context, mm. as in within the business application itself, so that the business users themselves could start questioning mm. the models. And it's not just about explainability, it's about questionability. Yeah. Meaning it's the ability not just to see why the decision was taken, it's the ability to have someone raising their hand and say like, yeah, I'm not sure if this was the right decision. Mm. Which otherwise, ultimately, if you just explain without opening up yourself to questions, well, you just, yeah. <laughs> you just given, and like the only people able to, to to um, to express and ask questions are not the modelers themselves. Sometimes those are the people operating and uh, seeing those decisions in real life that have the actual perspective that the the the, the decision is questionable. 
And so that's why it's diff diff difficult. It's because last mile AI, it's about like, oh, a decision is then used into a business system. Mm. If you just need to push a decision, you just uh, push a table somewhere in your Salesforce or uh, whatever uh, business app. And uh, the decision is, uh, or the, the customer score is made available to the user and it's easy to integrate. Mm. It's more complex from a, just a business perspective, a UI perspective, to also give to the same operator, not just the score or a table, mm. but this ability to have the why of the model and then question back. That is an excellent point because... Um, yeah, some of, some of the reasons that I was thinking about um, is the the level of effort um, that at least at least in my experience that I've seen it require that requires to get into the details of how the decisions are being made, and generally it it takes a a very a extremely eager stakeholder to say like give me the, the explainability for each decision. They need a lot of domain knowledge. And, and to be able to review them uh, or question them in batches. But you've turned that on its head by, by saying, well, let's, let's disseminate it to where the decision is being used. And then people would, should or could be able to question the decision at that, at that particular point, um, which, is, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, I, 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 think, I think some people, um, um, some data scientists might feel that um, sometimes stakeholders can lose uh, focus when the majority of decisions are being taken as, as good and better than what it was before, but that there's a subset and sometimes a, a minority of decisions that are not as good as they could be. And sometimes they, they pick on those decisions um, or, or, or at least data scientists might feel that stakeholders focus on, on those decisions and sometimes they, they want to strive for, for perfection across the board. Um, what, what would you say to, um, to people that are having, facing those type of conversations in, in their organizations? Mm. And they, to some extent, it relates to, to, to previous conversation we, we, we had. I think it's uh, the the potential choking point of AI in the near future is about uh, change and cultural change. As in, uh, as, we, as we automate, you need to make uh, more and more people aware of what automation and AI is so that they can get the best of it. And uh, in order to make that happen, it's easier if you help them participate and be part of the building of the decision engine uh, themselves. And uh, that's uh, ultimately it's all it's all uh, change management. If you want to make sure that people have the right bandwidth and uh, the right focus at the end of the change, at the beginning of the change, you need to create a desire and put things in context. And I think that's, uh, it's not about the current situation. It's about like, oh, you make people move. I think that's uh, who decision makers should think about it. Yes, definitely. I think that, that, that um, definitely in, in change, uh, focus on change, a greater focus on change management is required. And I think 
uh, yeah, as you as you say, particularly in the in the first step, uh, the awareness awareness of the the changes required and why. So that's um, really really good, really good, mate. And getting customer satisfaction requires so many things done right within an organization when it comes to the culture, to the product, to the customer interactions. What what would you say are some of the things that um, that you guys have focused on internally uh, that that help that helped uh, get to to this this um, to this point and this award? I think we have a particular focus on uh, some aspect of the product uh, quality, as in uh, meaning making sure that there are no shortcuts of the pro product that could be an hindrance to some customer when they try to apply it to a real life context, as in like, we, have we checked that it works for real in a real life customer scenario that could need this and this? Particular things, it's and this kind of like uh, flexibility, this or this uh, security constraints. So this level of uh, thoroughness in, in, in terms of product quality, I think, is important to get practical satisfaction in the enterprise. And second is uh, support, and uh, which we provide through both uh, customer uh, community so that people can have a direct connection with data icons themselves, but also with a technical. Uh, traditional technical support challenge uh, channels. And here again, it's all about making sure that when you give an answer, you give the real answer. You respond quickly, but like you don't just answer uh, something that makes no sense from a customer perspective. Like uh, customer people don't understand what is happening. They don't give me the real answer. They're just buying time. You don't want to actually get into that when you are building a, a strong support channel because yeah, people are not stupid. They want the real answer, even if it means that uh, yeah, you won't get uh, your uh, exactly what you want. And uh, mm -hmm. getting being straight, straight and authentic when you answer to customers at all levels is, I think, key. Key. That is key. That is so true. So instead of um, yeah, pandering. Uh, giving giving the the right the right support the right answer um, definitely something that that customers value, um, mate. This I, I just looked at the time. <laughs> Crazy how um, how quickly this has uh, flown by, uh, Florian. This has been fantastic. I really want to uh, thank you so much uh, for for your time, for sharing your experience and your insights, uh, your thoughts about the the future and how how it's coming. Um, how it can be further developed and the, the vision that you have. I, as, as I said during the, um, during the show, I think it, um, you have a, a particular knack for picking what's, what's coming and, uh, and being ready to deliver on that by the time it comes. Um, and it's been amazing to get to unpick your brain a bit and getting to see the inner workings of how that's done. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, your perspectives, and your experience with us today. Thanks a lot, Felipe. And uh, I'm also looking forward for the next episode of Data Futurology. Amazing. Too kind. Thank you so much. See you soon. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. 
If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.